in chapters 1 and chapters 2 and the first eight verses of chapters 3. We have been seeing a common theme or discussion Paul brings to light in that letters on the wrath of God or the, the judgment of God or the condemnation by God on three groups. We saw the first group, we saw the wrath will come upon, there is no excuse for the paganists, those who reject God. They, have, they don't want anything to do with God. The knowledge of God, the reminders of God, just don't want anything around them to even remind them. Don't even play them Christian music. That The paganists will have no excuse. They will face the wrath of God. Then we saw the second group. We saw the second group, the moralists. Those who judge others and thought they're, they're, they're their own God. They're, I am God. I can live my life however. I'm so together in my life. But I love to judge others. They too will not escape the wrath of God. They will, they will have to face God in regards to their, their judgment upon others. Then we also saw group three, the religionists, the Jews, who thought they had access to God just because they were Jews, just because they were raised and they're part of the Jewish family. But we saw very clearly they too, that group, the Jews, the religionists, will face the wrath of God. They're not, they have no excuse. Now today we're going to see a fourth group. Today, in the wisdom of God, giving Paul the words to put in this letter, knew that there was another group of people out there that said, I'm not a paganist. I'm not a moralist. I'm not a religionist. So it must not pertain to me. I must not be a sinner. I'm a good person here. So we're going to find that, no, Paul doesn't, allow any of us to escape because today we're going to see that everybody is guilty under sin. Everybody. There is none, no not one, that is not going to be or have to deal with the wrath of God. So we'll see today Paul goes on and highlights to his readers very clearly and we'll see four things today in our scripture in verses 9 through 20. So please follow along with me, Romans chapter 3, verse 9, and we'll pick up right here. It says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have pre previously charged both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. And there is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of apps is under their 
their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we see very clearly right here in our scripture, verses 9 through 20, that God is letting us know very clearly that everyone is guilty. Everyone is guilty under the sin of law, under sin. And that no one can escape and say in their life that they are somehow going to escape the view and the clarity and the the examination by God of their life. So we we see here in verse 9, he starts off by saying, what then? What then? Are we better than the paganist? Are we better than the moralist? Are we better than the religious? Are we? That's what he's asking the readers here, these believers in Rome. Now, there's two views on the who, what Paul or who Paul is referring to as uh, the, of they. Who are they he's speaking to? I mean, obviously, it could be the fact that he's speaking to the Jews and says to the Jews who are reading this, are we better than the paganists and the moralists? No, of course not. You can't, as a religious, we're, we're not. You know, the Jews are going to face wrath, so is the Gentiles. Or he could be referring to the believers who he's writing this letter to, and he says, hey, as believers, as born-again believers, as those who have surrendered their life and given their life to Christ, who have given a new nature, who have given a new life to live, do not think we're better than the paganists or the moralists or the religionists. We're not better than them. Don't think you're somehow better in the fact that you have a pompous attitude now that because you're saved, you look down upon the unbelievers. Because naturally, there's only two groups. There's a believer. I mean, there's, there's those who are Jew and there are those who are Gentile. But spiritually, there's only two groups. Those who are believers and there's the non-believers. And there's a tendency, and we see in the scriptures, where people, once they've given their life to Christ, they almost completely forget the light they come from of darkness, and they somehow put themselves above those who are still in darkness. Like they've arrived, and, and they can somehow fall into that religiosity that we talked about. Or even the moralist perspective. But Paul is warning you and I today, we are not to think that somehow we are better than they. Not at all. And we've seen and I've written very clearly here in the beginning of this letter that the Jews and the Greeks, they are all under sin. But we were too. We were sinners. But we have been saved by grace. 
and you can't take credit for it. It's a work of God. It's a free gift that he's giving to you and I. So that should drive us to be more humble and more, more kind and gentle and loving and long-suffering should be the fruit that should bear in our lives to know what God has graciously done in our lives and not to think well, somehow we have now become greater than those who have not given their lives to Christ. Because he says very clearly, Paul proposes these two questions. What then? Are we better? Of course not. But he also here sees a very clear truth that he's going to present to his readers. And is this truth, this proclaimed truth, is that everyone is guilty. The whole world, the Jew, the Gentile, the whole human race is under sin. And we see even in Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of law to do them. We were all born in sin. We're all not, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Did you hear me? We are not sinners because we sin. We, are sin. we sin because we are sinners. And the world tells you and I today, if you listen to the philosophers of this day and, and the the reasoners, or if that's a word I'm thinking of right now, but the people who think in the head and think they can get in your head and say, you know, you weren't a sinner. You're not a sinner. You are a, a product of your environment. You're a, uh, you're a person that over time and due to your external influences have become bad. It's because of your peers. It's because of your parents. It's because of your position racially or geographically or sociologically or politically, economic background that has caused you to become this way and become bad. But you weren't bad in the beginning when you were born. But that's not what the scripture says. In Psalm 51.5, it says, behold, I was brought forth in, in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. When you were conceived, you had sin. You were bad to the core. And I love babies. If you know me, I love babies. But they're the cutest little wicked little sinners that you ever do see. And it's amazing how some of us can get to a point when you've never had children and you look at someone who has children and go, how dare those parents do, raise those kids like that? Teaching them to do those things. And act like that. and Behave like that. And then you become a parent. It's like, oh, Lord, have mercy. Forgive me for all my sins. <laughs> because... I did not have compassion on that person on that plane when that baby was crying. Can't they get that baby under control on that plane? Oh, how quickly we realize that that's why he gives children parents so that the parents have the responsibility 
to teach them the ways of the Lord and to raise them up according to the way so that they too will choose Jesus and to be saved. Isn't that a great thing, a great ministry that that the Lord has given you for those who have children at this point? Now, Paul not only gives us that a clear truth that we're all sinners, everyone is guilty, but we also see here in verse 10 that Paul presents the evidence. Paul proves the truth that we are all under sin. And he says here in verse 10, he says, as it is written. So he's telling his readers, I'm not going to give you what I think or what I feel or what I have philosophized in my little mind as I'm sitting there dwelling in my own little space and I'm going to come out with my theological theories. He says, it is written. He gives us the basis of what he's about to tell the truth is based upon. It is not him personally. It is based on the word of God that he's telling you and I that we were all born sinners. And it comes from no other source he's saying here. It is written that everyone is guilty. Everyone is under sin. And it only matters what the Bible says. It does not matter what I say or you say. Or anyone else says. Matter of fact, you don't listen to what the world says. Don't listen to what your flesh says. Don't even listen to me. Listen to what the word of God says in his word and only his word. That's what you base your life upon. Test all things. We're to be like the Bereans we see in Acts um, 17, Acts 17, 1. They go back and they test, they look and they see and they search the scriptures to find out whether these things are good or not that they've heard. And when the scripture supports what they heard, then they know that that's what it's based upon. And they have solid foundation they can build their life upon. And that is why in 1 Timothy 5.21 it says, Test all things and hold fast what is good. But the compendium can swing for some people. They can sit there and you and I can find ourselves at times saying, with a critical spirit, I'm going to judge you and what you're saying. Versus like the Bereans receiving, looking and listening and, oh, I can't wait for what the Lord has going to have for me today and hearing what the word of God is going to say. And I'm so open to hearing. Ears are open. My eyes are open. My heart is softened and ready to receive. And I know my heart is hard. My neck is stick and I'm ready to judge what every little word and syllable you say or don't say. That is not the right thought. That is not the right attitude. That is not biblically uh, biblical attitude. It is one to receive like the barons, to hear and deceive. And then once you receive, then you go back and you test and you see everything that you saw lined up with the scriptures. That is the right heart and attitude of when we are listening. So Paul starts right off right verse 10 that says, it is written. It's based on the word of God here. That is what I'm basing it upon. Then he goes in, he gives us three areas or categories of what those are. And it's almost like an x-ray, an examination that he's going to take place. First of all, our sin falls into the first category. is It's a sinful nature, verses 10 through 12. Look, look at what we see here. 
Paul's going to highlight some six things here. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. The second part of verse 10 here. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are born sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. And we have, we've, yes, we have done like righteous things in our life. We've done righteous deeds. We can say, oh, those are really good things. Those are right on. That's great. I'm glad you t- you've done those things. But just because you've done righteous deeds or righteous acts does not mean it's made you righteous. It doesn't make you righteous. That's why some people fall into trap. Oh, I just need to go to church because if I do that, that's right, and it'll make me righteous with God. Or when I do go to church, I have to go and serve, and, and people will just show up and say, I just want to serve. I've got to do something. Because they feel like they have to do these righteous deeds to make them righteous. But they don't make you righteous. We are born unrighteous, born sinners. But in 1 John 1, 9, it says, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Isn't that a beautiful promise? When you're willing to confess that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness, and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And it's by his grace he removes our sins. He casts out our sins. Psalm 103.12 says this, he casts out our sins as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He doesn't sit there and say, let me just set those aside for you because I think you're going to go back to them. No, 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 he's cast them out. For you not to touch you any longer. Hebrews 10, 17 says, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Isn't that great that your God that loves you is not going to remember your sins? Isn't that a freeing? Why is it that you ponder on your sins so much of the past? You're not to. We're to move on, press forward. God is not going to remember your sins. He's cast them so far away to the east, to the west. He doesn't want you to see them or let alone touch them again. The good news here is that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we now have the righteousness of Jesus Christ accredited to our account. He paid it all. He paid our debt because he knew we cannot pay it. There's nothing you can do or I can do to earn it. But he was willing to freely give it. Yes, remember. Here's a remembering point. That yes, positionally, we are perfect in Christ, we see in the scripture. But practically, We're still dirty, rotten sinners that we have to deal with. We still have to deal with our flesh. We still have to deal with the things of this world that keeps drawing and pulling us away from the things of God. Even the things that we thought we could hold on dear in our life 
even religious things have gone astray that we will see. And we find ourselves, if it's not basing our life upon the life of Jesus Christ and what he has done in our lives, we can become unraveled a little, shaky on our grounds that we stand upon. If it's not upon what God has done in our lives. We see in Isaiah 64, 6, our righteousness are like filthy rags. So we don't rely upon our own righteousness and the things that we think we can do. See, the Jews had a challenge. They were given this law. And they, they misinterpreted the law to such a degree that they felt self-righteous because they had the law. They took the knowledge and what God had given to them to, to bring light to their lives of how bad and how much as a sinner they needed God in their life. And they took that and said, oh, because I have the word of God, I can now somehow become self-righteous and I'm above everybody else. The religious leaders taught that a man could actually keep the law. But they were basing that the fact that someone could keep the law from an outward perspective, not an inward perspective. They thought, oh, if you don't do this and you don't do that, you're going to be able to keep the law. And if you don't work on this day and you can't. But that's not what the scripture says. And Jesus made that very clear in the Sermon on the Mount to you and I and to them. That they pointed out, Jesus pointed out that the law was script, it was spiritual and that all men had already violated every law. You cannot change that. You're born a sinner and that you need God and that because it's not an outward action only that is going to be looked upon. But we're actually, I'm looking at the heart of what's in your, uh, in your life. I'm looking at the core, Jesus said, of what's going on. So Jesus showed that the law governs and should govern and Keep boundaries on our inward attitudes. But not only is there none righteous, no, not one, but we also see here in verse 11 that there is none who understands. Our sinful nature causes us to not understand. There's a blindness. There's, a, there's a, something that happens to us that we do not see things logically. We don't reason understandably. We, do, we, we cause us to make decisions in our sinful nature to do things. If we were in our right mind, we would have never done it. But we see in verse 11 that Paul makes it clear. Nobody understands. We don't have the capacity to understand God in totality. Because God is infinite. We're finite. And as soon as you and I get to a point where we think in our minds that we can understand everything about God and we've got it all figured out, you're moving into your sinful nature of a misunderstanding. Isaiah 55, 8 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my, your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. <laughs> if that's not making it clear for you and I that we need to seek God and ask him, what are your ways? And being in the word and understanding versus relying upon your own. 
but we also see that we have our sinful nature is not only we're not we're unrighteous not only are we ignorant or um, ignorant the fact that we don't understand everything we also know that our sinful nature is rebellious here in verse 11 that there is none who seeks after God people are not naturally you and I are not naturally seeking after God oh my kids are so sweet except they're going to naturally just go it's going to be a natural bent that they're just going to love God no no that's not what the scripture says your children if left alone if left on this free loving almost like a hippie movement going let's love just let the kids do whatever they have to experience and love love do it they're not going to go God's way they're going to not seek after God they're going to seek after their own flesh in the world that is why God says there's boundaries before our protection there's there's we have to have boundaries on our children. We have to have boundaries. Because there is none who seeks after God. We all rebel against God. We are, and the only way we are going to seek God is by the prompting or the drawing by God. Because there, yes, God has given us that void, that, that emptiness that needs to worship God. But our tendency is to not seek after God, but to seek after things of the flesh and of this world. And only through Jesus Christ who seeks after us and knocks at the door of our heart and draws us to himself, that we will then give him that choice to be able to respond and open that door. To say yes to him. Yes, I will die of self. I will recognize I'm a sinner. I need to follow you. I need a savior. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God came to draw you and I to him. Why? Because we see in John 12.32, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. He will draw you. How will he do this? How will he draw? How will he be able to come and get my attention? And there's only one way. By the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. That is how he will draw you and draw me and seek after you and me get our attention to put our eyes on him by the power and the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit and there is no other way there is no program there is no church organization that's going to draw you or help seek but by the power of the Holy Spirit doing that work John 16, 8 says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's going to do that work in our lives and the lives of people around us. The Holy Spirit is going to knock at the door of your heart and, and, and show us that we need Jesus in our lives because we're going to have this thirst, this hunger, spiritual thirst and hunger, 
and we're not even going to fully understand what that is when we've, if we've never been exposed to the word of God or exposed to the things of God. Because the flesh is going to say, Joe, do this. Go do that. Change this, change that. The world says you need more of this and more of that. And, and, and buy this and buy that. But no, the work of the Holy Spirit is going to come in and say, no, you need more of me. That is what's going to cause you to want to desire to seek after me. And then we see a fourth thing that happens when their sinful nature reigns in a person's life. That a person's sinful nature will cause you and I to go wayward or become unpredictable or uncontrollable in our lives. That's what a sinful nature will do. You see someone who is not controlled by the Holy Spirit, they are uncontrollable, un emotionally unstable, mentally going different directions. They go to astray. They're not going to go toward God. They're going to stray off somewhere. We see this in verse 12. They have all turned aside. They've all strayed away. They've all went through the wayward side. And we still live in this physical flesh. We still live in this unpredictable world. But we choose Jesus and follow him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he brings stability in our life. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust, the, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. Do you see how much we need the Holy Spirit to come in us to walk by the Spirit, to, to be so focused on Him that we will then not fulfill the things of the flesh? That we be able to just let the things of the flesh of the world just fade away? Oh, how quickly it is where someone can become so consumed of themselves. And they're not walking in the spirit. The Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, how we're like sheep. That we just go, <laughs> we just move on to the right and to the left. We just don't stay focused on the good shepherd and listen to his voice. How quickly the sinful nature can cause us to become unpredictable. Judges, even Judges 21, 25 said it in those days. What was happening in those days of Judges when they were not reigned by God, but they were leaning on Judges smart guys everyone did what was right in his own eyes that's what comes about when you're not focused on God you'll do whatever is right in your own eyes that's a very serious thing that we need to keep an eye on because we need to recognize our sinful nature causes that unpredictability we also see in this verse 
that our sinful nature is worthless. It says right here, they have together become unprofitable. And the word unprofitable means unfruitful. That your sinful nature, if allowed to just bubble back up and, and not be controlled by the Holy Spirit, is you be, your, your sinful nature will cause a life to be worthless. It's unfruitful. It also sees that sinful nature will cause immorality or become immoral. That is, there is none who does good, no, not one. So the sinful nature is something not to be messing with. It's not to sit there and say, oh, I'll dabble in this little bit of sinful nature because I like it. It's, it's, it's a moment of fun and time. And, and if I'm really smart and I'm really good, I'm not like I'm in my 20s anymore doing stupid things. I'm going to be in my 30s or 40s or 50s and, and all the way up. And I'm smarter now, so I can now handle this sin a little bit better and control it. No one will find out you're being deceived, which we will see. Because you're going to find yourself, you're going to go to the fact that there'll be none who does good, no, not one. Now we see here also, because there is no inner spiritual capacity, when someone is consumed or being controlled by their sinful nature, it causes them to be so selfish and so self-centeredness that it sums up their life when you watch and look at their life. But we also see not only the nature that will be coming out through what I call maybe different portals of their life. Well, the first portal that Paul talks about here is in verses 13 and 14. It will come out of their mouth. You'll hear it come out of their mouth as clear as can be what is revealing of their heart. How do we know that? It says right here in verse 13. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. So that's the first thing that you can tell. If it's something come, if, if you're really walking in that sinful nature, the first thing that's going to come out and be exposed is what comes out of your mouth. And then one of the things that's going to come out of your mouth here that Paul says is it's, you're going to be practicing deceit. You're actually, it's like the tomb, your tongue is like, is like a tomb. It's like dead things coming out of your mouth. It's dark things coming out of your mouth. You're just, you have no problem talking about the dark things of this world and of the flesh. Because it's been, you've been, there's deceit coming out. Your mouth is corrupt. It's just, it's just coming out. And we even need Matthew 12, 34 says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when your mouth speaks, what is the abundancy coming out of your heart? What are you hearing from your mouth? What are you hearing from that person's mouth? We also, not only do we see that it's the tomb, and we also see that there's full of deceit or speech is dishonest. So speech is corrupt, the speech is dishonest. We also see there's poison, or, or what we call our apps, or the viper or cobra-like snake that comes out and will bite you with the words they use. So the, what they say is actually very damaging. Their speech is damaging to those who hear you. 
pe people actually feel the pain from what is coming out of your mouth. But we also see in verse 14 that whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So when you see that their speech is blasphemous, their speech is corrupt, their speech is dishonest, their speech is damaging to those around them and to themselves, and their speech is blasphemous. Now, how can that little thing in your mouth be so dangerous? Isn't that amazing? Well, if you all, you know what, I know many of you are thinking right now, you're thinking of James chapter, chapter 3. Turn to me, with me to James chapter 3, verses 2 through 8. James chapter 3, verses 2 through 8. Oh, what a good lesson in the book of James. He says, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, he puts bits in horses' mouths that they may obey him, us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or of reptile and, of, and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Back to Romans chapter 3. So you can see that you and I do not have control over our tongue. That you and I desperately need God to help us. To change our hearts so that what the abundance that comes from our hearts is not of a sinful nature. What comes out of our heart and through from our mouth, from that tongue to start wagging, is that it brings about the things that will please God and that it will be fruitful called love that comes from your mouth. Kindness, gentleness. Encouragement. Not the things that Paul is talking about that can happen because you're a sinner that's unchecked. That you live by 
your sinful nature. But not only is it the tongue or the talking that, is, that Paul warns us about, but everyone is under sin. Everyone is guilty, not only because of the sinful nature that's in you, but the sinful tongue. But now we see in verses 15 through 18, the sinful acts or our sinful conduct that can come. Verse 15, it says, their feet are swift to shed blood. There's a tendency, there's a nature that, uh, that we have the tendency to, that we can murder. Now, a lot of us will sit there and say, well, I've never murdered somebody. But again, God has made that very clear that it's not just about the actions on the outward, but it is about your inward heart and that you can murder someone with just of your thought. And we see that in Matthew 5, 21. You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. He was referring to the fact that the attitude of the heart is it can be just as dangerous. And because of that act, because of our actions, it leads in verse 16 to destruction and misery are in their ways. There's only one thing that will come from someone's life who has their actions are of sinful nature. It will be destruction and suffering or misery, both materially and spiritually in one's life. So many people will say, I don't know why I'm having a difficult time. I don't know why it's so challenging. And Oh, why is it? Oh, they just seem to have a better life. They've just given, given this golden spoon because they were born with a golden spoon. You know, all these rational things we say. But if we would just take the time to stop and look at our lives and say, are we being controlled by the Holy Spirit? Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we doing the things and saying and doing? Are we bringing, letting him have control of our lives? Or are we just allow, like everyone else, the sinful nature just to rule our tongue, to say whatever we want to say because we have freedom to speak, freedom of speech? Do you realize that's not biblical for a Christian? To just have this freedom of speech and say whatever? Because it's only going to take you down a path. If it's not of God, it's going to take you down to a point where it's going to be destruction and misery in your life. It's going to bring pain and suffering to those because your tongue is just out of control. And your actions just line right up with it. And there is absolutely, as we'll see in verse 17, and the way of peace they have not known. Not only will there be destruction and misery in your life because your actions are played out because of your sinful nature, but because of that, we see that there is no inner peace in someone's life. And I don't know about you, but I want peace in my life. And when you have no peace, that means you have turmoil. That's what it's saying. If, you're not, if your sinful actions are just being let loose and you're just living how your actions out, you're going to face turmoil of, that's going to dominate your life. The, the sinner's mind will be so turmoiled. And again, a, re, a remembering moment here. That apart from Christ, there is no peace. Do you know that? Peace is not based on a place. Oh, you can't go to the highest mountain and, and get the peace. 
You can't go to the ocean and get, oh, the waves just cause such peace. I'm going to isolate myself in the remotest place, and oh, I'll find peace. Oh, if I could just go to that resort, I will have peace. True peace is only about and only found in the person of Jesus Christ. It, peace only comes when you and I abide in Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14.27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Philippians 4.7 And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.14 For he himself is our peace. Have a flashback here for a minute, family. Can you picture yourself in the last day, last week, last month, where you have taken your eyes off the truth of God, that you haven't quieted, found that quiet place to be able to spend time and allow the Spirit of God to work in your life, and you found yourself becoming unhinged, un, your mind to go out of control and fear and, and destitute and all the things and emotions to come flooding like over your head, like you're drowning. And the question is, did you and I go to the mountains? Did we go to the find water? Did we go out and get a new outfit and get a new do? And, you know, do we do what the world tells us to make us feel comfortable? Or did we run to Jesus and cry out and say, Lord Jesus, I need you? See, that is what Paul is getting across for you and I as we learn these things is where do we turn for that peace in time of turmoil. Not only is the way of peace that we have not found, not known, but we also in verse 18, and Paul kind of summarizes everything here in these verses with this. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So the question always is, well, why wouldn't they? find peace and run to Jesus? Why, why wouldn't they avoid the destruction and misery and, and run to Jesus? Why would they allow these things to go on and things play? It's because there is no fear of God before their eyes, verse 18. There's irreverence. There is this, this sinners have a tendency to have an arrogant pride that holds you and I back from recognizing and understanding that God is in control of our lives. Because we have no fear of God. I can take or leave God. I need God in this moment, but for these other things, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to fear God and, and what he thinks about these. He's, he's so busy with other people. He's not worried about me. 
those kinds of thoughts are not biblical. Because you know, and I know in those scriptures, that he knows the number of hair on your head. He intimately knows you. So we can't sit there and just cast away like, oh, God's too busy for me really care if I'm playing and dabbling in the things of my flesh and the world. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1, 7. And it's a, and when it's a sad thing when someone or we get to a point where there is no oneness of God. There's no reverence of God. There's no, we don't see that how big and how great and how mighty our God is. When we look and see and our God is, is small and, he, and, and God can't, God is not in care about these little things of our life, you're going to find yourselves where you'll lose that fear of God before your eyes and it never leads to something that is good. Because when you don't have the reverence of God, then you and I will stop worshiping God we'll stop trusting in God. We will stop obeying God. And we will stop serving God. That is the outcome of someone who does not fear or reverent or have an awe of our mighty God. And then Paul closes here, and we'll close today, with the purpose of the law. Verses 19 and 20. He says, verse 19, Now we know what that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So we see very clearly what the law does. What the word of God does for you and for I, it brings us to a point that we are all guilty. Everyone is guilty because no one is righteous, no, not one. That every that, that when the law is brought and opened up, when the word of God is opened up to the people, what will happen? It will cause, it should cause, every mouth to stop. It should just close our lips. But what happens is, when you do not, and you don't recognize or you have no inkling of hearing the word of God and obeying it or recognizing it's from God, your mouth stays wide open and you continue to talk and think pridefully that you know everything and you know exactly what you want in your life. It won't stop. You'll continue to debate the things of, this, of, of what God says is true. You'll continue to debate it. I know what you said and what the word says, but I don't believe it. That's what happens when someone doesn't understand the law. The law brings to light. No, this is true. No, I, I don't want to believe it. It will also cause people to be very defensive. Don't judge me. I know what, the, what you say the law says, but I'm going to live an adulterous life if I want to. I'm going to live the lifestyle however I want to. That law means nothing to me. And I'll continue to talk about my sinful life like it's no big deal. Because it's not sin to me. 
but the law was designed to bring and shed light to the sinful nature, the sinful talking, the sinful actions that need to be surrendered and confessed and repented of, turn away from, and that is what the law <clears throat> was brought about. And it should close our mouths and stand in reverence in front of God and say, God, have mercy on us. That's what it should bring. It should bring everyone to just close their mouth and be silent in front of the God Almighty and say, God, have mercy on us. I know it just says it's a good sermon. That's what the law, what Paul is saying here. And it says, because the, all the world may become guilty. It will expose everyone is a sinner. And the Jews standing there condemned by the law that we learn in chapters chapter 2. We also saw that the Gentiles stand in condemnation, not because they had the law at the moment, but God gave them their creation and a conscience to bring about God's law to them. And they too are going to face and have no excuse for their life of sin. And in verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we're all sinners. The law brings that clear for you and I. That the law was to make man understand that he is a sinner and need a savior. No flesh can obey God's law or be justified or declared righteous in his sight. Because the, no one can fulfill or obey all the law. It's made it very clear and then because of that, they, the Jews, Jewish leaders and the Jews said, well, we can't obey the law, so we'll just change it and twist it a little bit and say, well, we can do it through our actions. It's not going to be a hard issue. It's all about actions. And, and that's why Jesus had to come and bring light to that and say, no, it's about the heart. And your actions should line up with the heart. Because when man tries to obey the law, they fall and fail miserably and they need to cry out for God's mercy because the law shows who God is and who we are not Galatians 3.24 kind of brings to light to that it says the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith so that's why we share the word of God we talk about the word of God we study the word of God because we want to be brought to the feet of Jesus daily. We want others who may have never heard the word of God to be brought to the feet of Jesus. And they would by faith give their life to Christ. God must save sinners because he loves you. He wants to save you. He sent his only begotten son to show you and I how much he loves you to save you. Now, it's a heavy topic today. Remember, we are saved. You've given your life to Christ. You've confessed your sins. You've repented of your sins following Jesus, you're saved. You're born again. We have a lot to celebrate for what God has done in your life. 
but never forget. We are still sinners to the core, aren't we not? I mean, the best way to close this section is to ask a question for you and I. Just ask a question of yourself. Has your mouth and my mouth been stopped? Are you boasting in your own self-righteous religious religious religiosity, the self-righteousness? Defending yourself before God of how you're living your life today to try to justify why you lived certain things in your life. You try to sit there and debate and justify God. Or are you just quiet before God and say, God, have mercy on me because I'm a wicked sinner. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me of my sins. Thank you for taking my sins so far to the east and to the west and never remembering them. Help me, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to live a life that will please you and honor you the rest of my life until you come and take me out of here to be in your presence. Why? Because we know that everyone is guilty under sin. 